Acts chapter 19 is where we're going to be this morning, verses 8 through 10. Paul is now in Ephesus. Uh, he's, he's settled in Ephesus at this point. He was, he was there last week. Um, we got him there finally. And now he's settled in and he's started the mission work. While he was in Ephesus, and anywhere from two and a half to three years, it's a little, the, the timeline's a little questionable uh, on, on when, he was, when he left and how long he was there. While he was in Ephesus, he wrote 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Uh, those were letters he wrote from Ephesus back across the, 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 the strait there, the sea that divided Turkey, Asia at this time from Achaia, where uh, Corinth was. And he writes these letters, and at the end of 1st Corinthians, as he's wrapping up that letter, he, he gives us a hint, a clue to what's going on in Ephesus while he's there. He says in, Acts, uh, in, in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, verses 8 and 9, he says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me. Yet many oppose me. Acts 19 shows us that wide door for ministry that Paul had. More miracles. We're going to talk about the miracles next week. And uh, the God performing extraordinary acts, extraordinary miracles, that, miracles. that's what we're going to talk about next week and, and see some of that. But the stuff that had never been done in Acts before, never been done by apostles before. Uh, prayer cloths, which charlatans on TV will now sell you uh, to heal your wounds, they don't work. But Paul's did. Claws that he had blessed and prayed for were sent around and people were healed because of them. Things uh, that, that just would boggle the mind. That's all happening here in Acts 19. Luke is uh, sometimes, well most of the time, the king of brevity. He squeezes two and a half to three years of ministry down into basically one chapter. But what we see, uh, what we need to see this morning is that like Paul's wide door for ministry in, in Ephesus, every church has a wide door for ministry. Every church has the op uh, opportunity to share the gospel. We, every church has it. As a matter of fact, our existence as a church is proof of a wide door. If there were no door for ministry in Sulphur, First Baptist Church of Sulphur would not exist because God would have no use for us in the community, but he does. And as Paul goes on to say in that passage in 1 Corinthians, he's got this wide door for ministry, but many oppose me. Like Paul, every church will face opposition. When those ministry doors open, opposition comes in. That's just the way it works. The devil is after churches. And so uh, he comes in when those doors open, and we need to be ready. But opposition isn't necessarily an indicator of disobedience. Now we could say that uh, we've talked about Paul and, and his uh, migration through uh, uh, Asia, and it, it, he, when he ended up in Troas, and I've talked about this a few times, he couldn't go southwest, uh, he couldn't go northeast. There was opposition to him traveling in those areas. God was funneling him toward Macedonia 
So in that sense, yes, oftentimes opposition or, or difficulty might be a, a way that God guides us. But it is not necessarily the case that opposition indicates disobedience. Opposition, more times than not, to a believer on his or her knees, to a church that is seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit, opposition comes because they are be being obedient, not because they are being disobedient. The more the church seeks to make disciples, the more the church seeks to fulfill the great commission that we have been given, the more the devil will come against her. It is a one to ten ratio for every one act of the church on behalf of the great commission mandate. The devil increases his attacks tenfold. I don't have any biblical math to prove that. That's just I'm making a point. He is going to attack the church if they are going to preach the kingdom. And the kingdom of God, as we're going to talk about this morning, that's really the focus. Preach the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the believed gospel fully realized. We're going to talk about what Jesus meant by the kingdom and how he related to the kingdom. We're going to talk a lot about the kingdom of God this morning and what that means for us as a church. But ultimately, as we move through this, see that when we believe the gospel, the kingdom is now fully realized in our lives as fully as the Lord wants it to be realized in the here and now. We will realize it more fully later on, but it is as fully realized as he wants it right now. We can have all of the kingdom that God wants us to have right now, if we will have it. Acts 19, 8 through 10, tells us why we're going to talk about the kingdom this morning. Verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them taking the disciples, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Paul shows up in Ephesus. He, he baptizes the disciples of, of John the Baptist, the, about 12 of them. Apparently, they're still with him here in the synagogue because he's taking the disciples, and the only thing we can figure is that he's talking about, Luke is talking about those same, that same group of disciples plus those that they've added. And he preaches in the synagogue, speaks boldly three months, longer than he had been in any other synagogue in any other town that he had visited because he had always been kicked out sooner or they had tried to kill him or something happened. And it says that he argued and persuaded or was arguing with them and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And maybe that phrase surprises us there. Maybe we would have expected in that situation for him to be arguing and persuading them about Jesus as the Messiah. And then we're going, oh, okay, that makes sense. He was sharing the gospel with them. Well, by sharing the kingdom of God with them, by uh, telling them, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God, he was sharing the gospel. Because the gospel believed results in a fully realized kingdom of God. A better way to translate that than kingdom, that kingdom's a good word. It's not a bad 
uh, translation of the word basileo, which is what it is in Greek. It's not a bad translation, but we put a different connotation on kingdom than any of the writers intended. Especially Matthew, where Jesus regularly, and we're going to talk about this, regularly uh, teaches about the kingdom of God. A better translation would be the rule or reign of God, not translation. Kingdom's a good translation. A better idea behind the word is rule or reign of God. When Jesus, when Luke, when Paul, when anybody in the New Testament talked about the kingdom of God, they were talking about more than a realm or a people. Not political borders and not a group of people, but it certainly is that one day. And the kingdom of God is more than just a future event. It's right now, but it certainly is a future event. There's more to it. Jesus would say things like, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, how is it at hand? Well, he will, he will tell us that. We'll look at what Jesus said about the kingdom in just a right now. Matthew is our biggest contributor to the discussion of the kingdom of God. The way Matthew recorded Jesus' teachings. All the gospel writers recorded a different facet of Jesus' teaching. Some things that are in John aren't in Matthew, aren't in Luke, aren't in Mark. And that's just the way it goes. Mark is the Cliff Notes version of the gospels. Matthew expands uh, Mark. Luke uh, takes probably Matthew and some other spoken sources and written sources, and he sits down to make a, a historical document about Jesus' life. And they all say different ways, to pick out different parts of Jesus' teaching, different miracles, different things that are going on. Matthew focuses on, because he is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, he focuses on the kingdom and Jesus' teaching about the kingdom a lot. Uh, Matthew chapters 3 through 5, chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapters 24 through 25 all record Jesus teaching or speaking about the kingdom and tell us what he said about the kingdom. So we're going to briefly look at some of those, uh, some of those uh, places. I'm going to give you the references. We're not going to turn there this morning because uh, it would be a lot of flipping of pages. But what did Jesus say about the kingdom? One of the things he said about the kingdom is that its presence should cause us to repent. Chapter 3, verse 2, if you're, right, if you're a note taker. Chapter 4, verse 17, and chapter 10, verse 7, in the book of Matthew, all talk about uh, or record Jesus saying that the presence of the kingdom should lead you to repent. And if we, if we just take that as, as I describe it, you think, okay, so when the kingdom comes, I need to repent. So I need to be watching out for the kingdom. And that, that would have been some of the responses uh, that Jesus got, or at least thoughts in the heads. All right, as soon as the kingdom's getting close, or you know, we see it coming, or you know, then we'll repent. Well, he goes on to say, then since, not if, but since, the presence of the kingdom should cause you to repent. He explains to them, it is present now. Those same verses, chapter 3, verse 2, 4.17 and 10.7, tell them, it is here with you. He represented, he was the evidence of the present kingdom, rule and reign, of God among his people. 
Jesus said, it is right here. It's right now. Don't look for it. Look at it. Don't wait. See it. Don't anticipate. Experience it right now. The kingdom is here. The kingdom uh, should cause us to repent. And if the kingdom causes us to repent and the kingdom is here, and by uh, implication it's a kingdom we want to be a part of, they were looking for this kingdom. They were expecting the rule and the reign of God, especially the Jews of Jesus' day, expecting the rule and the reign of God to come on the earth. He's telling them, since it's, you, it, uh, its presence should cause you to repent, and it is present now, then it is repentance that allows you to get in. You like the kingdom? Great. Its existence should cause you to repent? That's right. But not only should it cause you to repent, to take advantage of it, you must repent. Repentance is the entrance into God's rule and reign. Chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 3 and 10, make that clear to us. Repentance is the entrance to it. And not only is repentance the entrance, not only is it here, not only should it cause us to repent, but while those things might sound negative to some, oh, I've got to repent of my sin, what he says in verses in chapter 4, chapter 9, and chapter 24 is that the presence of the kingdom is actually good news. It is the gospel. The presence of the kingdom is the gospel. Gospel means good news. God's spell, God letters, God words, God's word, gospel. And the presence of the kingdom, 4, 23, chapter 9, verse 35, and chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus says the presence of the kingdom is good news. This is not the sort of news that should strike dread. Yes, it should strike dread in the ones who are against the kingdom of God. But for those that are looking for the kingdom of God, those that are wanting to be a part of the kingdom of God, this is good news that the kingdom is here and that we can be a part of that kingdom by our repentance. Jesus says the kingdom is here. And Jesus says that the kingdom is in the future. He makes that clear, clear as well. Pray. Your kingdom come. It has the idea in the model prayer that we are asking for it to happen, but we are asking for it to happen in the future. It's a both and. It's going to happen in the future, and yet the kingdom is right here, right now. It is the already not yet of the rule and reign of God. God is already ruling on earth in the hearts of of his believers, of his followers, and he will one day come and rule fully. It is implicit now. It is implied. The kingdom of God is implied in the hearts of believers, implied to the world. We, as a church, are an example of what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to look like. I'm not always the best example of that, am I? Nod your head, yes. Y'all aren't always the best example of that, are you? Nod your head, yes. We don't always become, we aren't always the best ambassadors for the kingdom, but that's what we are. It is implicit, it is implied by our lives now, but one day it will be explicit. One of the fundamentals of the faith is that Jesus is coming back. We believe that. We may disagree on when and how, 
and what it will look like and what happens before and what happens after. But Orthodox Christians believe Jesus is coming back someday. And when he does, the kingdom will fall. The kingdoms of earth will fall and the kingdom of heaven will fall on top of them. And God will rule and reign. And God's rule and reign will be explicit in that day. And it will no longer need to be implied by the life of the believer. That's what Jesus taught primarily in Matthew, on the kingdom. But how did Jesus relate to the kingdom? I'm sorry, my, I stepped on my microphone a, a couple of months ago, stretched it out, and I haven't been able to get the fit just right in those months. I'm still working on it. Uh, how did Jesus relate to the kingdom? Not, not just how he taught it, but when you looked at Jesus with a kingdom mindset, how did you see those two come together? How did they match up to the uh, the Jews of his day, his disciples, his followers in the gospel accounts. This stretches across the four gospels. Uh, I, I owe a great debt to, uh, just to tell you where I got this, Philip Betancourt, who is a vice president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. This was his outline of how he related to the kingdom. Ten ways Jesus related to the kingdom. First, he inaugurated the kingdom. He started the kingdom. God ruled and reigned in his people in the Old Testament, but not in the same way that God had intended for all of eternity past to rule and reign in his people. God, uh, Jesus inaugurated that kingdom by coming as a baby, not a king. So already he throws this idea of an inaugurated kingdom of God, rule and reign of God on earth, throws it on its ear. And says, it's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen, guys. I could have come in as an adult, as a man, and taken over, but I'm not. I'm coming in as a baby. Someone to, well, really confuse people. Say, how does a kingdom start here? Oh, great. Okay, it's a royal birth. That's fun, too. Well, not exactly the way they expected there, either. How did Jesus relate to the kingdom the second way? He is the kingdom. Jesus serves on earth two purposes, two roles in the kingdom. He is a, both the faithful ruler of the kingdom and a righteous citizen of the kingdom at the same time. How did he do that? Because he was 100% God and he was 100% man. He was divine and human. So by his life, he lived those 33-ish years on earth as both faithful ruler and righteous citizen of the kingdom. He showed us what the kingdom is and he says... It's me. I am the kingdom. When he tells John the Baptist, uh, and uh, John the Baptist sees him and says, repent, the kingdom is at hand. John the Baptist knew, there he is. There's the kingdom. There's God's rule and reign on earth. Third way Jesus related to the kingdom was he purposed the kingdom. Some kingdoms exist to get bigger by conquering other armies. Some kingdoms exist to protect themselves from outsiders. Jesus' kingdom exists. The purpose of that kingdom is to share the kingdom. Not a military overthrow, not a holy huddle where we protect ourselves from the big bad culture, but a kingdom that goes out and it shares the very kingdom that Jesus inaugurated. He set the purpose. Jesus declared the kingdom. His teaching 
even when it wasn't explicitly about the basileia, the kingdom of God like it was in Matthew, his actions, his teaching declared the kingdom. Follow me, he tells the disciples. Take up your cross and follow me. No one can follow me unless he's willing to leave family, mother and father and brother and sister, all over and over. Sell your possessions and follow me. He declared that the kingdom was to be invited into the kingdom. When he said the kingdom is at hand, that was the invitation for the people to join the kingdom, to repent and join the kingdom. Jesus demonstrated the kingdom. If kingdom is rule and reign of God, then rule and reign implies power and authority. And Jesus demonstrated both power when he healed, power when he rose from the dead, but authority over demons, authority over the wind and the waves. He demonstrated that the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, has nothing above it. Nothing comes against the kingdom of God. He deployed the kingdom. He sent out 72. He sent out more. At Pentecost, he sent out a couple of hundred. He deployed the kingdom and sent ambassadors to share the kingdom message. He transformed the kingdom. The Jews expected one thing and got something else. He made it holistic. Everybody's going to benefit from this. He made it redemptive. The the benefit is everyone can come to the kingdom and come to it the same way through Jesus Christ. It was cosmic in that everything will be touched by the kingdom someday. The entire universe will be remade and redone because of the kingdom of God. Jesus purchased the kingdom. His act on the cross was satisfying. It satisfied the wrath of God. It was overcoming. It overcame the work and the power of the devil. So he purchased it. Now, not only can he declare, it's mine because I'm God. He says, it's mine because I beat you from it. Beat you out of it. I took it from you. You are bloody devil. You are bruised devil. And you have no authority and no power anymore. He purchased it. He concluded with it in Acts 1, 6 through 8. When he tells them, tells the disciples, they start the conversation. He's about to take the holy elevator upstairs and they start a conversation. Oh, wait a minute, Jesus. It's now when you are going to bring in your kingdom, inaugurate your kingdom. Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? His answer said, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But, and they might be expecting an answer right there. Nope. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So they got their answer. Yes, I'm about to inaugurate my kingdom. And y'all are the ones that are going to take it to the rest of the world. My kingdom is inaugurated. I stay here. It doesn't happen the way it needs to. I go up. I send the Holy Spirit. Y'all have the kingdom. He concluded his ministry with the kingdom. And he will return the kingdom. A day is coming. We sang about it with Revelation song. A day is coming when a triumphant and righteous reign of Jesus begins and it will never end. That is how Jesus relates to the kingdom. As we've worked through Acts, we've, talk, we've hit some of those places where the kingdom is mentioned in Acts. And, and we'll hit a few others as we move through it again, continue to move through it. But we need to see the overview of it. The kingdom in Acts No one, it was not the kingdom anybody expected, especially that Israel expected. 
as we move through it, they, they were looking for certain things. At verse 6 again of chapter 1, are you going to uh, inaugurate your kingdom now? Are you going to begin your kingdom now? He says, no. His was not the kingdom, the rule and reign that they expected. He restored the kingdom in Acts. The kingdom was made right in Christ. Verse 6, are you going to do this? Nope, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give the kingdom to you. And you're going to share the kingdom. You are going to be my ambassadors to the kingdom. And we see that moving throughout Acts. Uh, Three, the kingdom in Acts is open to all who will receive it. The whole story of Acts is the church to the world. That's what we're talking about. That's this grand theme as we move through Acts. The first church, the church to the world. We've been in Acts now for well over a year. That's the message, and it's open to everybody. Some go to the Jews, and they take it, and, and Peter, he's uh, uh, ministering, witnessing to the Jews, and Jews are coming to Christ, and then it's Cornelius. Hey, don't forget the Gentiles. Peter said, Gentiles? And God said, yes. Yeah. See, watch, Holy Spirit. Boom, they got it. See? Gentiles. And Oh, so, okay, Gentiles. But then the Samaritans, too. We learned about that. And Paul's to the Gentiles. Everybody can receive the kingdom can come in under God's authority by repentance. The kingdom in Acts is not realized by political boundaries and, and geographic uh, areas. It is not realized by armies and by uh, uh, houses of parliament or congress. The kingdom in Acts is realized in the hearts of his people. Look for the kingdom. Are you trying to find the kingdom? You should be able to find it in your believing neighbor next to you. That's where the kingdom of God resides the kingdom of God the rule and reign of God is not overcome by persecution over and over and over Paul is kicked out of cities he is beaten he's caned he's shipwrecked he's all these things happen to him and even in those things he still takes the gospel he still shares and is an ambassador of the kingdom the kingdom is not overcome by persecution we get to the end of acts and the whole world has heard the gospel we get to the end of this passage and all of asia has heard the gospel and then in acts the kingdom is guaranteed as a future hope guaranteed that the kingdom will come that believers will experience the kingdom of heaven in a relationship, one-on-one, face-to-face with Jesus. We will see him as we are seen. We will know him as we are known. The kingdom is guaranteed. That is the message that Paul argued and persuaded for three months. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of, uh, yeah, kingdom of God. And then we see the response. Verse 9. Some became hardened and would not believe and slandered the way. With all this, with all of this persuading and arguing, three months arguing and persuading, and the result was some hardened their hearts, would not believe, and slandered the way in front of the crowd. Paul would not leave this ministry opportunity for superficial reasons. He knew this was where he was. God had already, I, I believe the Holy Spirit had, had spoken to Paul's spirit. And Paul knew Ephesus is going to be different. 
He'd already seen it, the, the baptism of those uh, 12 disciples of John the Baptist. He knew. So when he gets to the synagogue and he's having to persuade and to argue, I guarantee you those conversations weren't all easy. And yet Paul stuck it out. He would not leave for superficial things. Opposition would not cause him to leave his ministry purpose, his mission field. Disagreements would not cause him to leave his mission field. Music style would not cause him to leave his mission field. Hurt feelings would not cause him to leave his mission field. Personal slander from those that he probably knew well after three months would not cause him to leave his mission field. Nothing that would have probably run us out as soon as we got hint of it caused him to leave his mission field until he faced hard hearts, unbelief, and slandering the way, slandering the name of Jesus. Slander, if you don't know the definition, I had to look it up. I knew what I thought it was, but I looked it up. False, malicious statements to damage the reputation and name, in this case, the name of Jesus. Paul didn't care what they said about him. Paul wasn't concerned about that. Paul was concerned about the name of Jesus. And for two years, a two-year ministry, since they rejected, he left, he took his disciples, they went to this lecture hall, they rented a shopping center, if you want a, a modern-day um, comparison, rented a shopping center and started a church. And that church, 1 uh, Corinthians tells us, had a wide door for ministry. And again, we see that throughout Acts 19. And what Luke leaves out in a lot of these, though he tells us about it at the end, uh, one major piece of opposition, he leaves out most of the other stuff as we go through this. But we know many opposed. It wasn't over. Everything got nice and pretty when they started their own place over at the hall of Tyrannus. A wide door opened, many opposed, and yet verse uh, 10 tells us all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the gospel. All the residents of Asia. What we miss in chapter 19, we learn in other letters that Epaphras very likely went out and started a number of churches, went out from Paul in Ephesus. Philemon very likely was a church planner that Paul sent out. We know of other church plants, churches that were started in the area of Asia. As a matter of fact, the other six churches in Revelation, the, seven letter, the letters to the seven churches, one of them is the church at Ephesus, the other six were all churches that were very likely, based on their location, started while Paul ministered in Ephesus. A wide door for ministry had opened. And what was the key to this door? The word of the Lord. The kingdom of God was the key to this door. Not Paul. Paul wasn't why the wide door of ministry opened. Paul was not why the ministry was successful in all of Asia. And so successful in Ephesus. The, the, the prayer clause that he sent out. That he had prayed over. And uh, all these various things that went on, the, the uh, aprons that, he, that had touched him 
It wasn't because of Paul. It was because of the Lord. A wide door for ministry does not open because of a preacher, a staff, a budget, or a policy, but because the kingdom, the rule and reign of God in the hearts of the people. If we want to see a wide door for ministry open in sulfur, it is not going to start with me or Tom or Amy or any other minister we call. It's going to start in the hearts of our people, in the hearts of our congregation, when the rule and reign of God enters each one of us individually and we allow the kingdom of God not only to be exemplified in our lives, not play acting, not hypocritically, but the rule and reign of God that truly takes takes over our lives and comes out of us and the people around us see it not because we invite them to events or do nice parties or speak uh, preach the right uh, sermon series but because the rule and reign of God lives in each one of us that is when a wide door of ministry will open the church must preach the kingdom in this world of brokenness we live in a broken world. And I need some water because I've got to get this, through this last little bit. We must preach the kingdom. Preach the kingdom. What is the kingdom message? Well, I've told you what it is. But can we describe it? The kingdom message that the church must preach is more powerful than opposition. Nothing can stop the kingdom, of me- the kingdom message. The kingdom message is more powerful than slander. Mere words can't damage it. The kingdom message is deep enough for a 30-month discussion, yet its depths cannot be plumbed. The kingdom message is powerful enough to spread across an area roughly the size of Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Arkansas combined in two years, beginning with one guy, then 12 guys, then a few others as they were sent out. The eternal hope of the kingdom message is a spreading, consuming fire. The kingdom message is powerful enough to unite a church. Its equality at the cross is binding. The kingdom message is powerful enough to heal wounds. Its balm is refreshing and life-giving. The kingdom message is powerful enough to bring joy to hurting hearts. Its waters are a spring bubbling up from within. The kingdom message is powerful enough to bring forgiveness from offense. Its grace is an overcoming reconciler. There is no limit to the results and effects of the reign and rule of God in the lives of his people if they will allow the Lord to rule and reign in their lives. Would we see revival would we see salvations would we see healing would we see peace would we see growth would we see love would we see reconciliation would we see repentance would we see unity would we see joy would we see tears dried up would we see the holy spirit's power would we see the devil flee would we see the baptismal waters stirred would we see the nations turn? Would we see God's kingdom come only when, the see, when we see the kingdom of God in our midst? Preach the kingdom. Preach the kingdom. Preach the kingdom. Preach the kingdom and watch God heal the brokenness. Preach the kingdom and watch God's design be met. God's design be recovered, God's design, be pursued. Kingdom is the gospel. 
kingdom is the gospel message for you and for me and for every person on earth. We just taught the three circles, and I'm hearing that it helps to see this every week for those who are going through it and for those who wonder what it's like. God's design is unity. God's design is love. God's design is joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit. But, but sin ruins that. Your sin, my sin, it ruins that. It ruins God's design for His church. It ruins God's design for His people. It ruined God's design for everything He created at the beginning of time. Because every time we sin, we get away from God's design. We, we break it. I got it. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, we, we break His design. We break his rule, and when we break, we are broken. We see it every day. We see how we think we can fix it. We plan and we program, and it doesn't help. It just leads to more brokenness. Individually, we do this all the self-help, and we go work out, some of us. We go on diets, and we take pills, and those that are prescribed and those that aren't. A little alcohol here, a little, little self-help book there, a little, little Tony Robbins, little L. Ron Hubbard, little health and wealth, little smiling preacher, little this, little that, and all it does is lead to more brokenness until we repent and believe the gospel. Until we come to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, I cannot heal the brokenness. Lord Jesus, I cannot get back to God's design. I can't fix what's messed up in my life. And we come to him. We repent of our sin knowing that that's the cause of the problem. We believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for my sin. He was buried. He rose three days later. And, and that's all I need to trust in order to be saved. And then as we pursue and recover God's design, we preach the kingdom to all that we come in contact with. We preach the kingdom by our words as we share the three circles or whatever method you want to use. We preach the kingdom as we allow God's rule and, a, and reign to be seen among the people we encounter. Preach pray. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you that your kingdom is available to everyone. It's a simple entry. No walls, no gates, no hindrances other than our own stubbornness and pride, our own sin. Lord, may our lives be a kingdom preach. May our words be a kingdom shared. And this morning, may there be those who have never trusted Jesus Christ come and be a part of the kingdom. And Lord, may there be those who are believers that say, my life will preach the kingdom today and tomorrow and the next. Lord, move on this place by the power of your Holy Spirit, according to your will and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In order to live the kingdom, in order to preach the kingdom, you must respond today.
As an unbeliever, maybe you need to accept Christ. Tom will be over here to my right. I'll be over here to my left. And you're wondering what that looks like. We'd love to explain it to you. As a believer, maybe there are areas in your life that you need to give to the Lord so that you can preach the kingdom by your life. Whatever it is this morning, let God work on your heart. Let his Holy Spirit empower you to overcome whatever is holding you back from being everything you need to be in his kingdom. Let's stand and let's sing. If you have any decision, any prayer you'd like us to pray with you, come forward. Maybe it's just right there that you need to do business with God this morning.